Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. This is the Digital Wildcatters podcasting studio. Used to be funny when I'd turn in a podcast early days, Colin would always ask, how long is it and does somebody cry? So I don't think I've done a real kind of emotional mental health type podcast in a while. So I went on my friend Donnie Davis and Stephanie Davis's podcast called Angst. So anyway, I thought you might want to check it out. Tell me what you think. There's no sense in trying to corral this particular group of people, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Famous last words. Right. All right, I'll go ahead and do the intro. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Angst, hosted as always by Donnie Davis and Stephanie Davis. This week, we are honored and privileged to be joined by... Chuck Yates, the Galactic Viceroy of Energy, known by many uh, Nimble Fatty. You got to mention Nimble Fatty. On so, is there anything new that I'm? Is there any new nicknames that I'm missing? Oh yeah. So uh, Raj had me on his podcast, and he dubbed me a micro celebrity. So oh. I am also I'm also a micro celebrity. Yeah. I'll take it. A niche yeah. celebrity, if you will. A niche yes. celebrity. I love in it. my own mind. Well, okay. wait. In our minds too. Donnie, remember like one of the first episodes we recorded, we talked about something that Chuck said and neither of us could remember what it was. And we said, we're going to have him on the podcast and ask That's him That's true. It. We manifested this. And we manifested this. This was yeah. like <clears throat> episode one or two. So well, it's something it's that we've, that I've shared with multiple people and we'll probably get into that if we follow the outline, but. Well, fire away. What was it? It was when you were talking about the um, the advice from your priest after your divorce in regard to a person having four marriages, and hopefully, oh yeah, person. Yeah, that was oh, like one the... of the first conversations we ever had. Chuck, you brought that up. Stuck out so, to both. So, so, so two things on that. Number one, Patrick would love to come on y'all's podcast, so I will set that up, and he's really great. Yeah. Number two, it was really good advice because Patrick. When, you know, I was going through the mess, Patrick's like, hey, just so you know, you have four marriages in your life. It may be to the same person. It may be to four different people. But, I mean, you guys have been married a while. Things Mm -hmm. change. You change as people. Responsibilities change. And you've got to adapt with that. And really the, the challenge for staying married for a long time is making those changes together and working at it. Um, and so I thought that was great advice. And so I'm, yeah. I'm glad y'all talked about that because it really helps frame things. Well, here's the deal. We couldn't remember what they were, Chuck. What were they? Weren't they like different types? She thought that you had four, you named them. Like four classifications of the marriage, like the way that it changes or something like that. I don't remember that, but she does. I could have swore you did. Ooh, yeah, I'm sitting here going, Mo, Larry, Curly. No, but <laughs> the, you know, one of the things Patrick talks about in the context of this, and so this is probably what you were thinking of, is if you think about your life when you're born and up to some point, your life is really a biography. And by that, I mean, it's about you, but you're not writing the story. Your parents are telling you what to do. Teachers are telling you what to do. Bosses are telling you what to do. So they're really writing your story for you. It's about you, but you're not writing it. And then at some point in your life, and that's call it 35 to 45, somewhere in there, kind of the middle age crazies, if you will, you tell your boss to F off, you know, and the world doesn't end or... You know, you you get into a fight with your parents and the world doesn't end. And, you know, 48 hours later, y'all make up or whatever. And you get this sense of kind of ownership of your life. You realize you can do some things. And so it transitions from really this biography to an autobiography because you are now writing the story. And what happens kind of the midlife crisis and the get a divorce and date a stripper and things like that is it's, it's really dealing with the responsibilities that you took on in the biography section of your life 
to now you're in the autobiography and you don't have to do certain things. And it's struggling with that. You know, it's like learning to drive a car or anything else where you take control of something. There's always a struggle in balancing that. And so, you know, Patrick talks about that as a big transition and that that divides kind of marriage two and three, maybe, or maybe even one and two. Yeah. If you're there, another thing that, that Patrick talks about, and maybe he doesn't have to come on the podcast anymore since I'm doing my best <laughs> impersonation. They're just going to start Episcopal. calling you Patrick. Yeah, exactly. Father, I'm doing Father. my best Episcopalian uh, rector. But another thing Patrick talks about, and it's true, you know, they, people talk about the seven-year itch. And yeah. so there really are kind of just natural waves to life that run about seven years. And a lot of times when, you know, you're, you're in the middle of a funk or something happens, Patrick will always ask, you know, how old are you? And it turns out you're 40 and it's like, all right, well, you're kind of two, you know, you're five years into a seven year period in your life. You're starting to go into a wave or, you know, it'll happen this way. Well, how long have you been at the company? Six years. Oh, you're starting to get into the seven, seven year itch. And so those play in uh, a part in these different marriages, too, as you're going through these natural, natural cycles. And that's actually a really eerie concept, like because now you're going to think about it when stuff happens. You're going to you're going to translate it back to seven years. Well, where am I? I'm in year two. Maybe that's why I'm doing great. I'm in year six. You know, Uh uh-oh, things are getting weird. So Mercury's in retrograde. (laughs) I'm in year six. My taste buds are changing. Dogs and cats sleeping together. It's just mass (laughs) hysteria, right? Chuck, your taste buds change every seven years, too. Did you know that? Tell Patrick that. Maybe he didn't know that. I did not. I did not know that. He probably knows it. Patrick probably knows it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Patrick knows. He's got a pipeline to God, you know, he he knows it all. (laughs) That's interesting though, about the seven year itch, because you think about it, what you, the way you already framed the conversation, which is that we're very much observing our lives as it happens and and less control than we think. And then you think, oh, there's actually just this seven year cycle thing that could also deeply affect the direction of my life that I'm also not really in charge of. Like, what, how much of this are we actually in control of is, is the question. And I think it's, it's the very Truman little. show. No. Well, and, and actually you guys have just hit the nail on the head. Cause I was thinking last night, okay, what are we going to talk about? Where are we going to go? And kind of the, the big reveal, if you said, okay, Chuck, tell me kind of the, you know, the whole thing. What's, what's the big deal. And it's, if you can really wrap your head around the fact that control is an illusion, that gets rid of 90% of anxiety, mm-hmm. you know? And I gave a, I, I, I've given this speech before, probably given it about five or six times. And the speech is, I learned more from the book Green Eggs and Ham than I did in business school. And it's kind of, you can use it as a business speech. And you can talk about the importance of marketing because Sam, I am is arguably the greatest marketer on the planet. Right. Right. I mean, he's selling the hell out of those green eggs and ham. Yeah. Um, But I always kind of end it with a serious and I, and and I use it, I use it from a Christian viewpoint, but uh, it, it doesn't have to be Christian per se, but I always say, you know, the key to this whole book, is the unnamed man actually tries the green eggs and ham and he likes it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's the punchline. And I think the message to that is, is be curious. Don't be mad when you're in a situation. Control is an illusion. I mean, the, the unnamed man is not in charge of that. Sam, I am is clearly in charge of all that. And be be curious and ask why. And, you know, when he finally succumbs and is, okay, what, sure, I'll try this, he likes it. And I, I think that is really kind of the key to anxiety because anxiety is all manufactured in our mind. Yeah. It, it just is. It is, not, it is not existent in the world. I mean, we, we know why we have it. Evolution said if you're not scared of the saber-toothed tiger, 
you're probably not going to be around. So, <laughs> you know, there's there's reason to be worrisome and uh, about stuff. But I mean, I think you guys are you you guys are hitting the nail right on the head. Is if because I have I have said every six months in my life, I really underappreciated how little control I really have. And I say that every six months, every six months. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost like the anti-narcissism. You just have to really sit there right. and go, you know, it's just not about me because it never is. Yeah. Which can be hurtful, right? It's like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Why is this not about, about me? me? Sometimes be about me. Or... Chuck, yeah. I want to ask you, is Angst, you seem like a chill guy, you know, Everybody likes being around you. You got good vibes. You make people mm -hmm. feel good. But is Chuck anxious? Was Chuck an anxious young man? What? Tell us about all that. Tell us about young Chuck. So th this was interesting. Uh, my mom is a pack rat. Just mm -hmm. saves everything. And she has been on her mission, call it over the last five years, to kind of clean everything out. So she's gone into boxes of stuff. And so she has dumped on me boxes of things from my childhood. The quick side note, and then I will answer your question. Um, the rejection letter I got from St. John's, the school here, it literally says in the rejection letter, and I've posted this on Twitter and Facebook, various places. It literally says uh, something to the effect of after interviewing Chuck and testing with Chuck, we just don't think he's capable of our curriculum. Wow. Is but, this the one where you wouldn't get out of the car to go to the interview? Yes. Yeah. I so, heard that story. So the, the, yeah, the, the family story real quick there was dad grew up down in Richmond Rosenberg and wanted to move there. Mom grew up in Westview. So mom wanted to live in Westview. And they said, okay, if Chuck gets into St. John's, we'll live in Westview. If not, we'll move to Richmond Rosenberg. Your mom was counting on you, Chuck. Your yeah. mom needed well, mom, you. Mom to this day says dad must have doped my breakfast with sugar and Coke and, you know, just every, all this horrible stuff. Cause I threw a fit that morning and, uh, anyway, so I didn't get on, didn't get into St. John's. And of course, dad says you brought so much shame on the family. We had to move out to Richmond, <laughs> but so the reason I bring this up is, is there's a lot of stuff from my, my childhood. And one of the things I found was an application to a school. And one of the questions was, is Chuck a nervous child? And mom's answer is, was yes. And it said, explain. And it was, you know, always kind of bouncing his, his leg, um, covers up anxiety with jokes and he oh. bites his nails. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was a I was a big I was a big nail chewer. So yeah, I've always kind of thought as myself as as very very anxious, very much a worrier. Um, I do come I do come by that somewhat honestly because mom has always had the position if I worry about something, it won't happen. Yeah, mm. that's me. And, and if I just yeah, go ahead so, and get it out of the way and worry about it, then we've already dealt with it and it's fine. It won't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I've always kind of felt myself very anxious and all. And I think a lot of kind of the the post-separation, divorce, therapy, mm -hmm. doing a lot of God stuff with, with Patrick has been about, you know, realizing I have no control. And that really has done a good job of of getting rid of the anxiety. And quite frankly, I just don't feel anxious anymore. You know, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. You know, I'm I mean, you jealous, have... Chuck. You kind of well, let go you know, of the reins you, a little bit. You, you let go of the reins, and you and you you see the fun and stuff. It's like uh, it's uh, you know. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a wild example. Well, I probably shouldn't do this. Oh, what the heck? My girlfriend never watches any of my content anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I'll get. Yeah, it's like it's like my girlfriend who I've been dating for eighteen months. My joke is I've been dating her eighteen months. She's been dating me seventeen months. We had a bit of a had a bit of an issue there, but it's like you know it's really funny because her ex boyfriend is her son's soccer coach. Okay, you know, and you're sitting there going, you're sitting there going, oh my god, that's crazy, that's horrible, and all. And when you just go, eh, I'm not in control, roll with. It's kind of fun, yeah. you know. 
You just deal with stuff. Yeah. So I feel like there's only one point in my life where I didn't feel anxious, and it was after I did that breathwork session, Donnie. Yeah. Chuck, I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's basically, for lack of a better way to explain this, you're, it's a guided breath work, but you're basically hyperventilating yourself and really tapping into your body and your subconscious. And it's like this whole trippy experience. It's pretty, it was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. The only time I ever felt like what you're explaining was, you know, the few weeks after that, like, I really felt like, oh yeah, everything's, everything's beautiful. It doesn't matter. This could be frustrating, but it's actually kind of not, you know what I mean? It was just like this vibe so the mm -hmm. fact that you get to live like that chuck all the time i'm very happy for you not, not all the time a lot of time you know what's really interesting is you know if you kind of look back through history because mm -hmm. you know medicine doctors and folks figured out a lot of stuff you know we do not give them credit for being as advanced as they are and yoga and meditation and all that sort of stuff um, Brene Brown in all her research, you know, America's therapist, Brene Brown mm -hmm. looked into all that and always thought breathing was BS. You know, she's like, ah, whatever, you know, you can't do that. She went and hung out with the Navy SEALs for a couple of weeks. And I mean, of any people on the planet that have anxiety, it's the Navy SEAL. Oh, I mean, you're yeah. being shot at, you've right. got your dead buddy on your back, all the things you're having to do. You know how uh, the seals deal with um, deal with anxiety? In one two, hold one two, out one two, hold one two. They do the box breathing, and, yeah, the box and that's how they. Breathing. So, so you have hit the nail on the head. Uh, so, Stephanie, advice to you is the way you felt there. Anytime you get slightly anxious, choose one of the the breathing patterns whatever it is regulate your breath and it really does control your your internal anxiety yeah how much of that too do you think comes with getting older experiencing more things dealing with more people because i will say it's not as bad as it used to be because i'm you know experiencing more things you've got kids you've been through all these things and you're realizing I can handle a lot more than I think. I'm wondering how much just growing up has to do with it too. Well, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of when you're doing something for the first time, there's always anxiety. Mm -hmm. First time you go roller skating, you fall down and then you realize, well, that wasn't so bad. You right. skate some more, you fall down again. At some point it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. reps are totally key to getting rid of anxiety because you sit here and you go, wow, I'm 55 years old. I'm still here. Yeah. You know, that, that sucks going through a divorce, but I'm still here. Yeah. You know, it sucks getting fired. Eh, still here. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, totally. yeah. And I, I say this to my kids all the time and, and, you know, kind of what my deal is, is if somebody reaches out and wants advice, I don't want anyone to make the same mistakes I made. I already, you know, screwed it up. And so uh, what I always tell people, if somebody reaches out, I'll say, hey, it takes me about 35 minutes to drive to Digital Wildcatters. Mm -hmm. When I leave my house, I'll text you. You call me. You can have me for 35 minutes. So the advice I always tell young people is, hey, I'm 55. And I am not in any way, shape, or form diminishing the anxiety you're feeling at age 23 or 27 or whatever. But I can tell you this at 55, no idea what I was anxious about at 27. <laughs> it's not even there, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it doesn't mean it's not real for you and all that, but I'm, I'm just here to tell you, you're going to get through it. Mm -hmm. You really are. Yeah. And in a weird sort of way, if you just kind of embrace it and realize you don't have any control over it, it's going to be kind of fun, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anxiety is all about what can I control? This is out of my control. How do I control it? Right? Which is so, like, why do we feel like we need to control anything, really? It's like we've already discussed kind of a myth. Well, and the, and the other part about it, too, that I think is really important to focus in 
that you'll figure out, you know, one, you can't control anything. So just give in. It's cool. Go with the flow. Number two, 85, 90% of the beef you're having, the arguments you're having or whatever, literally has nothing to do with you or the right. argument you're having. Mm -hmm. yeah. That person, I mean, so you look at Brene Brown's research, and I think she got it right. We do stupid stuff. We're bitchy. We're grumpy. We drink too much. Our bad behavior is usually driven by the fact we feel unworthy of love. Mm -hmm. You know, and you can say that a million different ways, but just that that's what it is. And so when someone is feeling unworthy of love, they'll bitch at you for something and you'll have an argument about something and it has nothing to do with that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm, you guys have been married a while. Y'all have that. I mean, yeah. there are days you just don't. And, and, it, and so what's so important about this is, one, you have to recognize that. When I'm picking a fight with Stephanie, I got to really say, no, I feel unworthy of love for this. Usually the man's pressure point is he can't fix something. Yes. And, you, you know, and Donnie, you just have to man up and say, hey, Stephanie, I can't fix this. And it makes me feel unworthy of love. And as much as that sucks, because we're not wired that way, right? if you do that, that'll be better. And Stephanie, you need to realize when Donnie's bitching about something, it's like, hey, you're not bitching about the fact that I dinged the car or that I, you know, didn't cook what you liked for dinner. What's going on with you? Why do you, why do you feel bad? What's going on? Right. And, and that, it's seriously, every time I sit there and I think, no, I'm arguing with Colin about something. It's Colin had a bad day. Right. It had nothing. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. And if you can yeah. kind of, if you can adopt that side of the the control ledger, maybe if mm -hmm. we want to call it that, that's going to go a long way. Yeah, for it sure. It makes you just don't worry if you're like, eh, they're having a bad day, whatever. Yeah, not so. on me. So when you brought up Donnie, I'm sorry. I know you made an outline here, but I feel like we're just kind of flowing. But I told you it was pointless. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't even see the outline. Yeah, so Jack didn't even read it. Um, yeah. So talking about not feeling worthy of love kind of made me think about, you know, I was recently laid off and you have questions of not feeling worthy. You were, I mean, that's a big reason we, I know you because of, you know, you got laid off and became nimble fatty. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I see on LinkedIn a lot lately of people getting laid off and I have experienced it. Donnie's experienced it. Chuck, did you get laid off, fired? I don't really know that there's a difference except terminology, but I kind of want to talk about that for people that are going through that and how that can feel and kind of how you get out of it and realize it doesn't have anything to do with you. Yeah. Kind of the, the, the shorthand I always give on that is shame hates words. So ultimately, when you're not worthy, you're feeling shame, uh, embarrassment, whatever you want to call it. And if you internalize that and you focus on that and you think about that and you beat yourself up on it, it's exponential. I mean, shame will just tear you to shreds. And unfortunately, because it's not easy to do the only way you can come over that is to talk about it you don't even have to have a resolution to anything you just have to say it and so night you know everybody's embarrassed they don't want to say the stupid stuff they've done the reason patrick's my priest is every time i feel really embarrassed i've done something really stupid and i sit down with them and i'm like i did this he always goes, ah, that's nothing. I did this. I'm like, dude, you're a priest. And he's like, I know that's really bad. Right. And I'm like, oh. but so, so the thing you need to know, uh, about that in that moment, the shame you're feeling is you got to go tell someone you just do. Mm -hmm. You have to talk about it. You have to say how you feel like shit. You have to say about, oh, I got fired because I got drunk and threw up one night or whatever, you know, whatever caught you, you know, caused you to get fired or, you know, whatever. I didn't perform very well. My heart wasn't really in it, whatever it was, you got to go tell somebody. And the two things that'll happen in that scenario is one, 99% of the time, the person you choose to tell will give you a hug. 
Yeah. That's whether that's a, a mental hug, whether that's a physical hug. Yeah. If you choose to tell someone, they're going to be cool. Yeah. And then the second thing you have to do, because you're going to have to talk yourself into admitting this, whether it's to your wife, to your best friend, to a priest, to a stranger on an elevator. I mean, one of the deepest conversations I've ever had in my life was with a stranger on an airplane. Um, and What'd the thing you're going to have to do. Uh, that was right. Literally, that was uh, probably an hour and a half after I found out Kim had filed for divorce. Mm -hmm. oh I went. I went and got. I went and got on a plane. Yeah, it's a crazy story. I, I told it on uh, on a podcast one time. The the abridged version is, uh, I'm sitting there. I'm freaked out. Uh, there's a family friend who sits in the row behind me, and this guy next to me just goes. Did I tell you the story about how I almost died in an emergency room? And I was like, well, since we've never met, no, you haven't. Yeah. And he just, he, he talked to me the whole flight and he's telling me all sorts of stuff about, uh, you know, he's, he, he's actually friends with the guitar player, Brian Welch, uh, from, um, Corn. Uh, uh, yeah. you know, and Brian Welch was on the verge of killing himself. And this guy, Eric, just sent an email to Brian that said, I love you. And Brian calls Eric, what the hell are you doing? I'm sitting here with a gun about to kill myself and all this. And, and Eric says, I don't know. God told me to do it. So Brian walks out. He goes to a church, the nearest church, and talks to the priest there for 24 hours and converts to Christianity and all that. That email is supposedly in Brian Welch's autobiography. This is the email Aww. that saved my life. So this guy, Eric, sits there for two and a half hours, three hours, talking to me about all this stuff. And we get off the plane and the family friend says goodbye and runs off. And I said, hey, Eric, I'm so sorry. I couldn't talk to you. That was a family friend. You know, right before I got on the plane, my wife filed for divorce. I was freaking out. And he said, well, you know, Chuck, I've been in business 30 years. I fly three times a week. Do you know how many times I've talked to the person next to me? I said, how many? And he goes, never. Wow. I said, well, why, why? I said, why'd you do it? And he said, God told me to. So, uh, so, so whoever you choose to tell this story to is one going to be accepting. So you know mm -hmm. that. And the second thing to build yourself up, to have that talk with somebody, just say, what would you say to your best friend if they told yeah. you what you were going through? And you're always kinder to your best friend than you are to yourself. Absolutely. And so, so that's not going to solve any problems. That's not going to get you out of debt. That's not going to find you your next job. Right. But at the end of the day, if you're going through this, just talk, say it. Because shame melts with words. Shame really does hate words. And if we can get rid of that shame we're, we're feeling, we're more motivated. We'll get up and say, all right, I'm going to work on my resume. I'm going to call. I'm going to try to get this job. I'm going to. You know, I'm going to drive my kids to school this week because I can, yeah. because I'm all, or whatever. So, yeah, that's that shame hates words. I really like that as a quote. Shame hates words because it's so it true. Because it it's just, like, go ahead. No, I want you. I want you to talk. I'd love. Well, to shame is also extremely heavy. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you can feel the moment that it melts away. You yeah. can feel the moment that you get that physical or mental or whatever hug that you mentioned. You it just everything changes immediately as soon as you get it off your chest and receive. You know what I, you know what I think it's like, it's like a balloon that is, uh, that's being filled with air and, you know, slowly filled with air. And actually sometimes shames is a balloon vastly <laughs> getting filled with air. But the second you, you talk, you pop the balloon and the pressure is gone. I mean, it is amazing how quick you can get rid of shame by literally just saying it out loud. After you've done your breathing exercises, you know, yeah, you. Right. Yeah. Did you have something you wanted to say about shame stuff or did I take that? You had it. I loved it. Okay, good. Uh, so I think. One by the way, y'all are so cute. <laughs> I, I always love hanging out with y'all too. So I was just going to kind of go down the history of how we met you really quick because you do with your niche celebrity status, uh, 
there's a certain level of like, you hear stories about Chuck Yates before you meet him kind of a thing. And I remember obviously knowing you're this successful business guy, you're, you know, whatever. But the moment that I actually met you, it was like within 10 minutes, I was like, oh, this guy is actually a real person. You and I connected on several topics on an airplane. And it was just like, oh. On a private like, jet. We were on a private jet with oh, Chuck. Oh, God. <laughs> It was so nice back when I was rich. Was so oh, man, we loved it, that Chuck. Was, that was great, yeah. And that was the other thing was that it was like this guy who I don't know is obviously found some success in his life financially, career-wise, but you were so generous, too. You were, you know, you bought champagne that trip, and we were all, we all got to experience flying on a private jet for the first time because of you, and it was like you didn't do it with any kind of, like, Oh, look what I can buy. It was just like, oh yeah, this is what we're going to do. And it was just like, this guy's a sweetheart is the only word that I can come to my mind. Just this very genuine, kind, generous guy is like, oh, I kind of wish that that was more melded into the story of Chuck Yates that I got leading up ah, to it. Um, but I don't wanted to thank you for that. Well, you're, you're kind to say that and, I, and, and everybody knows this and I've never understood why more people don't do this. When you're a kid and you get a marble set and you get all your friends together and you play marbles, it's so much more fun than playing with marbles by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, and you, sure. you eventually lose the marbles, but you remember how much fun you had that day. Yeah. yeah so I, and you know, it may also be oldest of four boys, you know, you just always had someone around and, mm -hmm. and, and all that, but yeah, you know, and, and, and that's a, that's an important thing that I think people need to realize is, is liking the toys is okay. Needing the toys is not, yeah. you know, yeah. I like the toys. I don't need the toys. And so toys are meant to be shared. Yeah. Yeah. It's a you've, blast. You've got a lot of love to give Chuck. And I think anybody that You're knows kind. you knows that about you. So I'm just shallow and needy. So, uh, <laughs> Me I needed too. to come on the I needed to come on the podcast to hear this. This is great. <laughs> hey, look, you told okay, me enough that. about you. More about me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Keep the compliments coming. <laughs> I do want to talk about Chuck. You did the, this retreat. You put this retreat together a couple of years ago um, with Patrick. Right. It was out at your house in Richmond. And very, you didn't share any details about who was there, anything like that. It was very, very private and exclusive. But from what I'm remembering, it was basically like a feelings retreat. If you've got heavy stuff, if you need support in that, from what I'm remembering, that's what that weekend was. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when I originally started the podcast, I really thought it was going to be me. 13 year old me telling poopy jokes. Oh yeah. Your you know? podcast, Chuck, Chuck Yates needs a job that launched. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought, I thought I was going to go be Howard Stern light or, you know, something and just tell jokes and all that. And the, the whole reason I had time to start the podcast and do it was because oil was at minus 37 and half the industry had been laid off. Mm -hmm. And what I found really quickly was, nobody wanted poopy jokes and people were actually responding to, to me kind of sharing my story and uh, setting myself on fire every day on Twitter. And I wound up just getting a lot of reach out from people that kind of wanted to share their story. And, you know, I was such a shit show that nobody knew, I, you know, everybody knew I couldn't judge them. And um, so, so the, <laughs> This, the the podcast got way more serious and more kind of into mental health than I would have thought it would have, but it did early on. And just another thing uh, that kind of just popped out of that is, is, I mean, people were like, can we go get a drink? And I'd have a drink and a lot of really prominent people in the industry, just, you know, just all the anxiety, all the worry. And so Patrick and I one day, literally just on the fly, I said, dude, come over and shoot a podcast tomorrow morning. He goes, yeah, what are we going to talk about? I go, we're going to organize a retreat at my house. And he goes, what's that going to be? I go, I have no idea. That's your job. So anyway, <laughs> we, we, we wound up having, we wound up doing a couple of them. 
where we had people, it was kind of 48 hours, 72 hours at my house. We kind of walked around Richmond. We had dinner at Sandy's restaurant where we had a private room and everybody started telling their story. Uh, literally the prayer garden at the Baptist church in downtown Richmond is one of the prettiest places on the planet. It has the largest oak tree in Fort Bend County. And you're there at 1030 at night. It's just beautiful. And so we would walk over there. We'd tell our story. We'd, we'd make cook all our meals. I was like, okay, we'll go pick up breakfast tacos. Patrick's like, nah, we need to cook. And I was going, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. He goes, nah, it's very primal. It's, you know, and you're working together as a team and all that. And literally one of the biggest reveals where somebody was chopping onions laid something out. Hey, this happened to me. And you kind of realize that if you're looking down chopping onions, it's easier to kind of share something because you're not yeah. looking anyone in the eyes. But uh, anyway, and Patrick led us through some work. And one of the cool things he did is he gets you to draw a family tree. And you start, these are my parents. These are my siblings. These are my grandparents, great grandparents. And you start telling what you know about all those people. And you realize shit that happened a hundred years ago is impacting you today. You know, my, yes. my great, my great grandfather died of a heart attack at age 50, led my you know, my grandmother to do this. So one, you figure, you figure that out. Um, and then kind of the, and so everybody starts telling their stories and you have, you know, 70 year old CEO of an oil and gas company who's still triggered by his 80, you know, his 89 or 90 year old mother, you know, everybody's crying at some point, everybody's hugging at, at some point. But the coolest thing is, is the way you always leave it, the way Patrick would leave it is after we've shared all this stuff, gone through all this, uh, Patrick says, okay, we went back and by the time you got to your grandparents and great grandparents, you were literally saying three words. I know these three things about this person. You didn't know much more. So tell me the three words you want your great grandchildren to know about you. Oh, that's and good. then, yeah, and it lasers in and you're really thinking about what do I want to be and all. So yeah, those were cool. We did a couple of them and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Patrick and I do do more of them just because, you know, there's there's some issues with how do you follow up? How do you stay in touch with the group mm -hmm. and continued stuff? But it's a pretty amazing kind of 48, 72 hours. I think yeah. that's awesome. I didn't know. That was the first I'd ever heard of that. But that's incredible that, um, first of all, that y'all kind of facilitated that, but that people came and opened up. I think that there is definitely something to be said about just people being together, there's like vulner vulnerability just kind of like spreads in, in situations yeah. like that. And everyone needs it. So that's awesome that you did that. And there's a, there's a selection bias in that if you're willing to go to my house for 48 to 72 hours or whatever it is with a priest who's yeah. going to lead us through some work, you got shit you need to say. For I mean, sure. right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. We kind of talked about the layoff, getting fired aspect, um, which was obviously on the outline. But let's talk about the fact that you were, for all intents and purposes, a very successful in that career at some point before the layoff. So <laughs> give some insight into, just because I, I know who you are and, and you're kind of like Chuck Yates that's in the hoodies and the Air Maxes and tight jeans and stuff. So lay out the kind of tit for tat of career success versus fulfillment in that role and how that kind of came to form your, you know, your, your middle age and, and where, how you got to this point, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. And I'm going to kind of wrap it into this a little bit. Cause one of the things I'm going to do over the next year, it, it really has to do with digital wildcatters is I'm going to go around and give the speech to all the old white guys about kids, you know, mm -hmm. hey, what I've learned from the front line. Because, um, you know, I'm dealing with younger people all the all the time and I get to, to see this. And I don't have the speech fully written in my mind yet, but I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking it through and 
and all. And I think the big thing that it really turns on that's a difference between my generation and your generation, you guys just get fulfillment from a much broader range of things than I did. I mean, literally growing up, it was, what is my salary? What is the name of the company on my business card? And then maybe at some point, what are the athletic achievements of my son? You know, I mean, that's literally what we were allowed to get fulfillment for, uh, from, and, you know, kind of two things happened to me is I got, I got fired. And literally when you, you know, when you get fired from running a private equity firm, you're just like immediately cut off, you know, it's not like there's transition stuff, but I mean, it's, it's literally like you have no responsibility the next day Mm -hmm. and the 72 hours kind of post that and not having any responsibility. I mean, the world just totally changed. I, I, I use this as an analogy, although it's not a great one is my mom had a hip replacement surgery and I went and saw her the next day and I'm like, Hey mom, how you doing? She goes, well, obviously I hurt because I've been splayed open and (laughs) you know, a bone ripped out. But she said this chronic arthritis that I had is gone. So I can tell I'm going to feel a lot better. And she goes, I had no idea how much pain I was in with that arthritis until now that it's gone. It was the same way with stress. Like literally I got fired. The next morning I woke up and you two know me well enough that you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I literally got up the next morning and I took my cell phone out and I recorded, I recreated the scene from Ferris Bueller where he's in the shower and, you know, he's doing his hair all up. And I've got, I think it was Tim Buck three or whatever singing in the background, shoot it up. And I just did that. And that was literally the most fun I'd had in like a decade. And I'd done some really cool shit. I'd gone Super Bowls, you know, whatever you want, but just that stress was gone and the big hanging over, Mm -hmm. of that of that stress was gone and so you know look i made i made money where you know i don't have a jet anymore but at the same time the kids aren't going to starve they're going to get through college so you can kind of look back and say okay you know it was worth it it put me in a place to to live like this but man if i could go back to my old self i would have uh i would have said you know it's so cliche to say, but stop and smell the roses. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, you don't have to sit up at the office till one in the morning putting together a pitch book unless you want to, right. you know? And, um, and I think in your generation, I see that, that, that it's less, you know, you're not just so career driven, you get fulfillment for other places. And if we as an industry or me as an old white guy CEO doesn't adapt to that, we're not going to have any kids in this industry. Yeah. yeah, We're just not, you know, one other thing kind of along those lines. And I truly believe this when I, um, I gave a speech for the Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma, kind of their first event post COVID and they wound up having a dinner. And I said this, and I don't know what the exact, metrics are on this. So I'll make it up. But like every two to three years, a company needs to give people 90 days off. And when I say give them 90 days off, like literally they, they can't even see an email, like literally no communication. You get to walk away. Cause I mean, two to three weeks later, I mean, I was seeing things with such clarity of, Oh my God, why are we doing, why were we doing it this way? Yeah. I created a I created a product that if I had been at Kane back if I'd created that product back at Kane it'd be a multi-billion dollar business line. I mean, I just mm-hmm. saw things so much more clearly that you're doing yourself a disservice as a manager, as a CEO if you're not giving that downtime to your employees to just go think. You know, the, the girlfriend, the girlfriend's on a uh, family leave right now, just cause she's dealing with per, uh, parents and, and health issues. And I'm seeing it in her, 
yeah. you know, just kind of like relaxing and going, oh, hey, when I go back, I can do this. I can do that. Yeah. yeah. So it's so, it's amazing how paralyzing stress and anxiety is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you bring up that, um, you know, 90 days off. So when I got laid off at the end of October, I started my new job January 15th. So I had all of November, all of December, and the beginning of the year just to be at home with my family, be there with my daughter. And I get, I get emotional when I think about it because the day I got laid off, I picked her up and we went to the movies in the middle of the day when she should have been at school. And she felt like a million bucks, Chuck. It cost me $20 after all of that. I felt like a million bucks. You know what I mean? So having that whole time that I had off was I I just cherish it so much because it was so good for our family, you know, seeing how good it was for my daughter and just not being stressed about anything, not having my mind in a hundred different places instead of where it needed to be is at home in that moment. So I'm totally I, I, on board with that, Chuck. I I said uh, same sentiments, different different way in that speech to the Petroleum Alliance of, I mean, I almost hate myself that it took getting fired for me to engage with my kids like I did. And it's not because I didn't love my kids, right. all that. It's just you come home from work and you don't shut it off. Yeah. But when you don't have a when you don't have a job, you know, you can really engage with your kids. And man, my kids are amazing. And I, you know, uh, I won't tell Kane Anderson this, but I actually thank them for doing that because I have right. knock on wood, a really great relationship with the three kiddos and all. Yeah. And it was just because I could be there, mm-hmm. you know, and by that, I mean, mentally. You know, yeah. I, yes, I went, mentally. I went, I went, I went to the soccer games. I did all that, but like truly uh, engaging. And it was, a, uh, it, it was great. So, you know, I get fired and you got to negotiate your separation agreement. And it's always, you know, is there going to be a lawsuit over all this? And at some point, you know, I don't know. Have you ever, uh, have you ever seen what Tina Turner did with the, the divorce from Ike? So Tina just wanted her name. She walked into the judge and said, I don't want any of his money. And they, they're supposed to lose 5 million bucks sitting there. Mm. And Tina was like, I don't want his money. I don't care. He can have it all. I just want my name because people know me as Tina Turner. And Ike was, of course, well, that's my name. You can't have my name. And the judge is like going, you're crazy because you can get all this money. Right. Uh, you can get all this money. And uh, and Tina said, just want my name. And judge said, okay, sign. So judge rules, Tina Turner. She walked out the door. She had $12 to her name. She walked to a hotel, like a rat infested type hotel. And she walked in and she said, uh, Hey, I'm Tina Turner. I don't have any money. Can you give me a room? I'm playing the Grammys in two weeks. They're going to pay me and I'll pay you back. And the, the GM was really cool. He said, Miss Turner, it's an honor to have you and you will never pay at my hotel. Oh. And, uh, and he did that. But I was kind of at that point, you know, it was like, I don't care. I just, I just want my name. Let me go yeah. away. So I knew there wasn't going to be a lawsuit with Kane. Right. And quite frankly, there shouldn't be. We, we get along. In fact, I'm going to Miami uh, and going to go have dinner with the CEO of uh, Kane. I told him you're buying. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be an expensive bottle of wine, but yeah, there wasn't. But you know, so it took a while to figure out that there wasn't gonna be a lawsuit. So about four weeks later, had the kids in the car, and I'm like, "All right, Dad. All right, guys. Daddy has some news." And I go, "I've been fired." And so Charlie immediately, just as Charlie's prone to do, just you know, kind of freaks out. And I go, "Don't worry, Charlie. You can stay in college." Yeah. So Charlie kind of excels. And uh, Sarah, who's my smart, thoughtful one, she's sitting there reading, reading dad. And she goes, okay, dad's not too worried about this. So I must Mm -hmm. be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she said, well, I guess we can't call you prominent businessman anymore. But, (laughs) and then of course my, my baby Kelly goes, daddy, does this mean we can't go get ice cream? Oh, sweet baby. I I hope you took them to get ice cream. We, we, we drove straight to get ice cream, but just, you know, I can't tell you how the level of engagement was 
with my kids kind of from that moment on. And if you're not doing that, no wonder you're anxious. Yeah. Go engage with your kids. And yeah. no wonder, it's like, amazing. you're anxious too. You've got all and these anxious yeah. kids. Yeah. By the way, that's all that they want. Like, they don't yeah. care. It's not really about ice cream even. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. No, that's, uh, that, that's exactly right. And you'll just find, I mean, and the more time you spend with your kids, you'll figure out what more and more a treasure they truly are. Mm-hmm. Even when they're mean, they're treasure. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah's the most brutal. I, I, I love Sarah to death, but she's just brutal. Um, yeah. So we're driving along one day and y'all know the singer Jules, one of my really mm-hmm. good friends. And so anyway, we're driving along. So it's like, Hey dad, did you and Jewel ever date? And I said, no, nah, we've always just been friends. And Sarah goes, Oh, so you screwed that up too. <laughs> like, oh, it gets worse. Cause we're driving along and, and I said, well, you know, Jewel, she likes her macho swaggy athlete types. And Sarah kind of under her breath goes, I guess that Peloton just doesn't match up. Oh, no. <laughs> Chuck, do you still have your Peloton? I still have my Peloton and it still okay. doesn't match up. But anyway, okay. who was when you do use it? Who's your favorite instructor? You know, what's weird is, um, oh God, what's her name? Uh, I used to always be a big, is it Jennifer? I was a big fan of, of hers. But you know what I found is my metrics in terms of how fast I ride, calories I burn, do better when I watch TV on my iPad versus take a class. Oh, really? And generally, and generally with intense dramas. Mm-hmm. And so and you know, going. yeah, no. So I'm, you know, I'm probably, I'm, I think right now I'm rewatching The Sopranos. Oh, and I'll, yeah. We'll have an intense. You know, during Breaking Bad, I was in peak shape. You, know? <laughs> you need to do Ozarks too. That's a good one. That'll be oh, a good Peloton. Yeah. Oh show. yeah, I have not done that, but I'll uh, I'll add that to the list. You'll Completely lose twenty pounds watching Ozarks. Stressful Perfect. every episode. Yeah. Nice. So jot that down, Ozarks, and it's Jason Bateman. Who doesn't love him? How can you? Yeah, who love Jason Bateman? Friend I loved him show. since Silver Spoons. Oh, I don't know what that is. Do you, Donnie? Ricky. Ricky, I see this is the age gap. Uh, Ricky Schroeder was a child actor, and uh, that was his first starring role where his dad was really, really rich, and John Houseman played his grandfather. And uh, anyway, Jason Bateman was the best friend. And it was called Silver Spoon because it was the young kid dealing with being rich in kind of a normal world. We've hit on all of my, my points that I wanted to hit on naturally, just like it, we usually do. So I appreciate that. Chuck, is there anything that you want to promote? I mean, we talked about your podcast, but would you like to promote it? You do like, you are a professional talker at this point. So I think you have like three shows you might want to plug. Oh yeah. <laughs> Get the so, list out. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Chuck Yates needs a job. I think kind of long format Joe Rogan style podcast, have a guest on and it vacillates between prominent folks in the energy business and then just stuff I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, then I do BDE, Big Digital Energy, which we call the weekly summary of the energy business for people who think Jim Cramer sucks. and then, you know, at Digital Wildcatters, we're, uh, we're doing a lot of stuff. We do Energy Tech Nights. You know, we're doing six this year. Oh, we're going wow. I Houston. remember when we just did one. Oh, I remember when it was like all our budget to rent the yeah. Heights Theater, you know? Oh, going, the good old How are we going to pay people next week? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're doing six Energy Tech Nights. So it's Houston, Midland, Oak City, Denver, Fort Worth during, during Doug, and then Calgary. We're international. Oh, cool. oh Mr. Very Worldwide. Cool. I love it. Yeah. And then we've got we've got Empower coming up, our uh, Bitcoin mining for the energy business conference. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, love that. So we're doing that. And then, then kind of the last thing I'll pimp on that front is we've got our knowledge share platform called Collide. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we've done, and it, this is kind of dumb luck, but I'll say we were thoughtful and we planned it and all is we actually built an AI driven search engine for all our content. 
Okay. So like we have 500 hours of content, right? Oh, Podcast, yeah. uh, presentations at Energy Tech Night. So we built that and we were using it internally. And we were talking to a large EMP company. They go, oh my God, we'll buy that from you. We use your podcast for energy tech discovery in the industry. You know, that's great. We go watch your podcast before we uh, we meet with somebody, and so we've we've probably added another twenty five hundred of uh, hours of content in it, and that's Collide Pro, and it's our it's our subscription mm-hmm. uh, service. And you know, you start talking about it, and people go, "Oh, you're building the Google of energy." Our AI stuff is getting so good. I'm like, nah, we're not no, Google. We're the, chat GP, we're the chat GPT of energy. Yeah, and, AI uh, it's is getting, it. And we're, uh, when you go query our database of stuff, our answers are coming out better than chat GPT. So it's, it's pretty cool. We're going to have a new version of Clyde out because we, we released the first version that I call really, really shitty. Mm-hmm. And then we released the second version was not as shitty, but still kind of shitty. Getting there. And the one, yeah, the one we release in about four weeks, uh, we spent a lot of time on. And, and like the chat functionality, instead of mm-hmm. being Twitter or LinkedIn, is going to be more Reddit oh, type okay. functionality. Because yeah. that's the feedback we got from the community is they really, really wanted gamification, you know. Mm-hmm being able to rate people and, and all that. So yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, the one thing I do want to say to you guys is what you guys are doing. I mean, coming on here once a week, being real, talking about anxiety and, and all that is just so important. And it kudos to you guys for doing it because I really meant that shit about shame, hate, and words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, we, you know, we've wanted to start a podcast for a very long time. And we were like, oh, you know what we have so much experience with? Anxiety. (laughs) So it just kind of worked out. And then having conversations, you know, with people like you and Jeremy Funk and Mark Freeman and, you know, just all the things we're learning about anxiety and all of that. It's people need to talk about it. They need a space like you, you provide that space with your retreat. People mm-hmm. just sometimes need a space to feel like, okay, I can feel this way. This isn't shameful to feel this way. It's not just me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, Chuck, another thing I want to talk about too, um, is the YDC. Are you still involved in that quite a bit? I'm still at YDC. So YDC is the youth development center it uh, runs an after-school literacy program. We talk about it being for the fifth ward, but it's actually kind of north of the fifth ward. But think think east of 59 and north of 610. And that's kind of one of Houston's roughest and tumblest neighborhoods out there. And so we pick kids up from school, generally first graders through sixth graders. We put them through a really intensive academic program um, focused on literacy, but we also work on other subjects, mathematics, history. And if a kid will spend a year in our program, they'll increase their reading and comprehension scores by two grade levels. So we get these fifth graders that read at first grade levels. And quite frankly, they read at first grade levels because that's as low as we test, you know, and, you know, they'll spend a year, we'll get them to third grade. They'll spend another year and we'll catch them up. We've built a building out there that literally is nicer than where my kids go to school. Um, And I think that's important because so much of that community suffers from the transient nature of the community. Uh, You know, dad goes to jail. You got to go live with your aunt. Kids are passed around that we wanted to send the message of, hey, guys, we're here and we're here forever. And that's a big, fancy building because you know it's going to be here in, in 50 years. And um, anyway, so just amazing results, because uh, at the end of the day, you're basically state governments decide um, how many prisons they're building based on third grade reading levels. Oh, I didn't know if that. You, that. That's one of the tightest correlations in the, uh, in the planet. If you know, if X percent of your third graders aren't reading, you know, in 15 years, you need this many prisons. Oh wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. And uh, so you're, you're kind to ask about we uh, our annual fundraiser is a, a roast. 
you know. It's a good it's time. Me. I went once. It's me, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's and we've we've roasted we've roasted a bunch of who's who in the industry. Last uh last year it was the Rice Brothers. I bet that so was we good. Had, I wish I could we had, yeah, we had we had Toby, we had Derek, we had Danny and we had Ryan and uh, anyway, so we do this roast. We take everybody's cell phone away when they walk yes. in. So there's no there's no recordings of any of this, but we have a great time. We usually wind up having about 700, 800 people at that thing. We usually wind up raising a million-ish dollars mm-hmm. that, that runs the uh, the center, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. But you're kind to ask uh, about YDC because it really sure. is a, a great organization. Absolutely. Chuck, it sounds like a lot of exciting things on the horizon for you and Digital Wildcatters, so I'm excited about that. I hope the AI is actually just Chuck Yates in a closet on a computer trying to find the props. <laughs> I would love that. That's a good bit if you want to if you want to well, take that one. That actually is a good you, bit. <laughs> you know, I've, I, I actually have sat here and said, you know, in effect, all AI is you're training something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because of the computer power, you can detect patterns, you can, you know, and I was like, God, man, that would be great. Because if I could remember half the stuff I said, that would actually be fun to have something that would parrot it back. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've lost my brain, so I can't remember. (laughs) But I love it. Chuck, we are so thankful to have spent this time with you today. Thank you very very much. Thank you. Thank thank you. uh, Thank you for uh, for having me. And let's definitely get lunch or dinner. Yeah, for sure. On the, uh, yeah, assuming the girlfriend won't break up with me for anything I'd said, I'd love for you guys to meet Laura. <laughs> yeah, if you make it oh, to yeah, 19 months, let's do it in month 19. There or we 18, go. That's perfect. Whoever's, yeah, however you count it, 19 or 18. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks, guys.